Okay, I love you. Bye. 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 Guys, I miss Tori. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Uh, well, we have no cold open, but that's okay because we're. It'll just gonna... come later. It'll yeah, happen. Come. Well, yeah. I don't. I don't like the I, the pre the one the part where like I have to pull the cold open from the episode itself mm-hmm. is always trickier because that requires me to listen to the entire episode. Wow, Dan! <laughs> I listened to it the first time. Welcome to another episode of Pajiba, the Pajiba Television Podcast. I'm Pajiba Comedy Editor Dan Hamamura. With me uh, this week are Pajiba Senior Editor Roxana Haddadi. Yes. Hey, Hello, Roxana. Friends. Hey, guys. And uh, Mr. Windy Dustin Rolls. <laughs> Hi. I, it's very, very windy in Maine, and we <laughs> could lose power. Uh, and Tori lost power, which is why mm-hmm. she is not here. Here tonight. Right. Yes. Also, my sister's name is Wendy, and my brother's name is Sandy, and my name was Dusty growing up, and that is a oh. fact. Your how did you? How did you guys not become like a weird children's singing group? Oh yeah. <laughs> like that is some straight uh-huh, like Walton Goggins would be like your with a manager and a, and a washboard. Uh, yeah, misbehaving with a pickle in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Dusty Wendy Sandy, my. Neighbor used to say, the wind blows the dust to make it sand. To remind him, yeah. I don't like that. That, <laughs> no, sounds, I, that sounds xenophobic to me. Like, that's yeah, I'm like, sure it is. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> Speaking of xenophobia, let's talk about Great British Bake Off. No, I'm sorry. Was that too early? <laughs> uh, no, you know what? Let's just go straight into it. <laughs> that's, that's, I love the transition. Yep. Love Jump the right into it. Yeah, uh, I have never watched Great British Bake Off, so I can't help you. This is my first season to watch <laughs> Great British Bake Off. Oh my god! Speaking of xenophobia, I mean, come what? on, guys. I don't know. I just needed to say that is, again. Is it on Netflix? What? Where do I? So yeah, so there are actually eleven series of it. So there are eleven series that have aired in the UK whether on like BBC or on channel four. Mm-hmm. And then eight of those have become seasons that are available on Netflix. And then there are like a variety of spinoffs. Like there's masterclass, which is where the judges would like show you how to make some of the challenges. And then there's like a holiday challenge where they bring like some contestants back for like a one weekend thing, but it's a phenomenon, Dan. And I, I'm aghast. Aghast. I have seen, you know, uh, portions of episodes before, and the people in past seasons, the judges were much nicer and funnier than they are now. Although I guess this Paul Hollywood guy's been around forever, but he's a dick. Right. So you hate Paul Hollywood. I somewhat hate him, but also, like, find him somewhat amusing. So the show (laughs) started with Paul Hollywood, who has, like, a famous bakery, and Mary Berry who is like really like a British institution, like a real home baker who became popular and is just like very admired and like the country's grandma. And then their hosts were Mel and Sue who were then on that like Hitman Peacock show. Oh, right. Yeah. And so they just are like a comedy duo. And so they were the foursome when the show was on 
I believe when it was on BBC. And then the production team got like a huge offer from Channel 4. And when they decided to switch, everybody but Paul Hollywood left. So Paul stayed and the new co-judge with him is Prue. And then for a couple years, the hosts were Noel Fielding and Sandy Tuxvig. And then Sandy, yeah, Sandy left. And then Matt, whatever, this was his first season. (laughs) Matt Lucas, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's not that great. I do like Noel. I like Noel, but I feel like Noel's weirdness, like, needs to be sort of reined in. Because this season, it definitely just, like, went into sexual harassment territory (laughs) a lot of the time. Fair, fair. Yeah. And so, like, he's very charming, and I find him very funny. And then sometimes I'm also like, you're telling a 19-year-old you want to see him naked, and that's weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So, yeah. So, wait. So, Dustin, what Mm -hmm. made this the first season that you decided to watch? Just because it was something you guys could all watch together, or? Yeah, yeah. It's only been in the last uh, maybe year and a half, two years, that my family... uh, have started watching TV shows together a lot because mm-hmm. we're of this, you know, the, the, the twins are old enough that they can watch shows that we actually enjoy now. Mm-hmm. And this was one of them. And my wife loves the show. Um, but I, I, I mm. Oh, also my wife loves to rant about this all of the time. Paul Hollywood, uh, uh, has like a m- big recipe for a uh, holla, uh, that he claims is uh, his uh, hala for Passover. And okay. Passover is when you do not eat bread. So he doesn't apparently uh, know what hala uh, is. Yeah. Or understand I understand mean, any of this. <laughs> I think that Paul Hollywood is just very much like. I mean, Paul Hollywood is just like a staunch capitalist, and I think. But did they just need a Simon Cowell on every fucking show like this? But to be fair, I do think that Paul Hollywood is very technically skilled. Like, I don't, I don't think that he, like, I truly don't think his criticisms are wrong. I think a lot of the times, I believe his criticism and judging a lot more than I believe Prue's, because to me, I feel like Prue is always saying one thing to the contestant's face, and then when it comes to be judging time, she's saying Mm -hmm. something else. So actually, like, Paul Hollywood to me is, like, consistently an asshole, and so I sort of respect that, I guess. But, like, the main thing with Paul Hollywood is that you might not, well, both of you might know this or not, whatever. They tried to do like an actual American version of this show. Mm-hmm. And Paul Hollywood was one of the judges. And he had an affair with the oh. Food Network personality oh. who was his co judge, oh. which caused oh. the show to then never continue. Wow, who was who was that person? Do I know that person? <sighs> you might know that person, Marcella Valadolid. Mm. She's on like the kitchen. No, no, I don't. And, I know yeah. Nigella, basically. Yeah, I mean Nigella is like you know Chef's Kiss, uh, like perfect. perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. But yeah, so that's sort of what made like the American version of the show not progress is because like the affair broke. And it was like somewhat of a big story. And mm-hmm. so that didn't move forward. But yeah, wow. I mean, I love, I love Great British Bake Off. I mean, you guys know that like I have a weird fascination and love for this show because as much as I like make fun of it 
as much as I gave you guys like the xenophobic transition, I do actually think <laughs> it's very good in normalizing the fact that like, oh, hey, like the UK is very representative of like the entire world and like it isn't just a bunch of like stodgy old white people and it goes back to that idea of like what is authenticity in food and like what is fusion and how do you update things with different cultures and different ideas and so I actually really like that most of the time mm -hmm. about Great British Bake Off it just felt like this season and last season, just feel like they're missing something. Like things are like rushed or like the contestants maybe don't know as much as you would anticipate. But like something about this season just felt very off. Well, maybe it was the pandemic situation. I do think, well, yeah, that's what I mean by rushed. I think what they did is like, so usually what happens is you're on the show and like you come to the tent each weekend to like bake or whatever um so it really can and you have like an entire week to like work on your recipe and like fine-tune it or whatever mm -hmm. but i think that they compressed everything this season because of the pandemic so like they were all in isolation on the property together and i don't think that they gave them the same amount of time to like practice things between challenges i think was, i could be wrong it was but also I think like an outside tent where it was like a hundred degrees in some days where you're trying to bake cold it's, things. Yeah. It's always outside tent. Like, they used a different tent this year, but there's always an outside tent. And oh, that's one is. of, yeah. And that's one of the most like recurring frustrations is like this tent clearly has electricity because you all have ovens, but they <laughs> won't give them air conditioning. So I think like that's what? one of that the makes things. That sense. Right. So that's one of the things that more and more with each season, it just sort of is like, are you setting them up to fail? Whereas if you go back and watch earlier seasons, yes, they didn't have air conditioning either, but it felt more collaborative and the challenges weren't as ridiculous. And something that like we have sort of talked about while watching the show is like, if you go back and watch earlier seasons they made things that were like sort of absurd, but were still recognizable desserts and like things that you could believably see at a party and stuff like that. As the seasons have progressed, like the challenges get more and more esoteric. So you mm -hmm. do get something like, Oh, put an entire lemon in this, in oh, this yeah. weird. dough, in this dough made out of beef fat. And it's like, nobody knows how to do that you know so it's also just like and the pastry shaped like a horn yeah that was also annoying so yeah it's just like the technicals are getting more and more absurd and it just felt like it just felt like this season was very off and i loved I, well whatever we're going to talk about spoilers i just i don't understand how they sent ermine home like i don't i don't get it they had several interesting people on the show and none of them were in the finals yeah yeah. Well, I, I I have a question since having never seen the show. Yes. Uh, it, this sounds like I mean just the way that you're describing the evolution of it. It sounds kind of like. Is there a? Do you get a sense that like the show is evolving in part because it's becoming because the, the audience is becoming more international and maybe more American? Um, ver like the. The thing that comes to mind to me is like uh, like Terrace House, which was a Japanese. Uh, reality show was progressively becoming more and more like 
absurd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they were kind of like pushing the contestants to, or the people living in the house to do like more and more, basically to be more and more dramatic in a mm-hmm. way that felt like they were trying to cater to an American audience. Um, I think that's fair. I mean, I think it's something that like people have, have picked up on more and more post the switch mm-hmm. to channel four, because it feels like the challenges are more absurd and that judging decisions are being made less about what is actually presented week to week and more what they think that person quote unquote is capable of, which mm-hmm. is like a very nebulous thing, right? Cause like, how do you actually know what a person is capable of? But there have definitely been some judging decisions like last season and this season where Dustin, you might agree with me. Didn't it feel like they kept Rowan around this season for like two or three unnecessary episodes? Remember, he was the one who had like the really elaborate bakes that he never finished. Yes, yes. Right, but they kept being like, oh, like Rowan, we're giving you another chance because he has potential and like we want to see him finish one of these. And it's like, but you've been sending other people home who actually did finish their bakes Mm -hmm. because you keep thinking that he could maybe one day do something impressive. So, like, there's been a lot of that in recent seasons, and I don't know Mm. necessarily if that's just for American audiences or if it's just because, like, the network has changed. But they're definitely, I mean, they're very much is a different vibe when you watch the first seasons versus when you watch the most recent ones. And, like, one thing, too, that I think, and Dustin, it might be interesting with you watching backward is I can remember very distinctly like the early season challenges and what people made for those whereas like I've watched every season since and like I don't think I could tell you one amazing thing that like anybody made last season for an example so it just feels like there's like this weird sort of tension between like the show itself getting more elaborate and ridiculous and the contestants maybe not being up to the level required or not really being set up to succeed anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I I do have, maybe you know the answer and maybe you don't, but my favorite British uh, show Taskmaster just switched to channel four this season. What does that mean? I mean, I know it's a different network, but is that, um, I don't know, Channel 4 as opposed... I mean, does that... Why do these shows keep switching networks, and what does it mean when they switch? I honestly... I don't know... Does it give them more freedom? Does it... I do not... I don't know, like, the intricacies of that. We might need to, like, holler at Kaylee or Peter or Hannah for more info about that. But at least, like, from from what I've understood from, like, Twitter and, like, various commenters on also, like are Great British Bake Off pieces for Pajiba is it seems like BBC, because it's the BBC, is a little bit more, like, staid Mm -hmm. and maybe, like, a little bit more, not conservative, but, like, not as willing to... For an example, like, Great British Bake Off right now has a lot of, like, sort of overt sexual humor from the hosts. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in the early seasons, maybe like the most innuendo joke you would get is when, um, Mary and Paul would say that a pastry has a soggy bottom 
because like if it wasn't fully baked so like back in the day that was pretty much like as risque as you got was being like oh like your pastry has a soggy bottom whereas now i feel like you have like matt who the entire season his way of bonding with contestants was getting them to talk about how much they hated paul hollywood which i thought was like super uncomfortable and then you also have like noel whose whole thing was like kiss Mr. Spoon or yes. like flirting with the contestants. So Noel's it's like on a season of Taskmaster and he was bizarre. Just like I love Noel and I think he's really weird and great, but I think he needs a co-host to like rein him in mm-hmm. and Matt was not that person. So it's like, I just think maybe channel four is like a little more, I don't know, willing to be risque. That's sort of, what I've come to understand. But I also don't know because in the U S like at least before streaming, like if a show was on a network, it stayed on that network. So I don't know what's different about the UK and like how they do TV. I don't know. I just find it amusing that on all of the, uh, there's a whole like uh, panel shows are like a huge thing over there. Mm hmm. There's like a ton of them, and like a lot of these people, I guess, Knowles uh, 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 from panel the panel show circuit, and I don't know if Matt Lucas is or not, but I just love that like Peter uh, hates them all because they were public school people, which is actually private school in Britain, and they're all capitalist pigs. Right, which. I mean, you know that I love Peter deeply right. and I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guillotine for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But Peter also rightfully, like, let us know that doesn't Matt have, like, a terrible history of blackface? Oh, yes. Yes, he did. Oh, and, oh, holy Lord. It wasn't even, like, it was inexcusable. I mean, just awful. Yeah. So I, so I also think it's just one of those things where it's, like, focusing strictly on Great British Bake Off I did not like him as a host, and I think he didn't really seem to gel. The only time I really liked him is he seemed like he was very encouraging to Laura, as was Which Noel. Unfortunate. But yeah, but it was unfortunate <laughs> because there was part of me that's like, maybe it would have been better for Laura if she had gone home, like, middle of the season, instead of continuously getting through it. And then being really, like, thrown off by these challenges that, like, she didn't always know how to handle. So it was also just a very weird season in that, like, certain people felt entirely out of their depth, but, like, stuck around. And I, the last time I remember that happening, obviously, was last season. But last season was weird and unique because they very much hyped up that it was the youngest group of contestants ever. And... As a result, they didn't know how to do a lot of stuff. So you would have entire episodes where, like, the majority of people, like, didn't finish or they didn't know how to do the technical. Or there was one where they had them make lemon curd and, like, a third of them didn't know how to do that. And it's just one of those things where it's like, how are you going to have a baking show where your contestants don't know how to bake? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it's mindless, Dan. You might like it if you're into any of those kinds of shows. Ultimately, it's very kind. Mm-hmm. At least the early seasons were, like, very yeah. encouraging. But I I don't know. I might be burnt out on it for a little while. Yeah, that was the one thing that I, I remember hearing, especially, early, especially, like, a few years ago, where it was, like, people were excited about how it was so, like, like 
people were generally encouraging and nice and it was it yeah. like it filled kind of like that pleasant TV uh, gap that, yeah. that people wanted. And they don't win money, which I think for the most part is actually pretty great because like, yes, you're what competing for the... I mean, you win. You just win. Like you get of, nothing, huh? Well, I mean, <laughs> of course, like a lot of them have like used it to do their own thing. Like obviously, like Nadia Hussein very much became like a TV personality, and she had her own Netflix show, which I would also recommend. I feel like that's a fun one for everybody, Dustin. And like you've had other people who have also gone on to like open their own bakeries or whatever. But I do respect the idea that like you're there because you love it. And maybe it could lead you to, like, some fame down the line. But it's not, like... One thing that I really hate is, like, I watch a lot of Chopped. And now every single episode of Chopped is, like, a horrible, sad story about how awful the restaurant industry is and, like, the evils of American capitalism and how desperately these people need this $10,000. And it just really bums me out after a while. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So, like, I like that Great British Bake Off, for the most part, really rejects that sort of narrative. And a lot of times it's more just, like, I started baking as, like, a way to deal with my anxiety. Or I started baking because I moved to the UK from another country and I wanted to connect with people over food. And so, like, it opens up a lot of different stories about the function of food within our culture and our society. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do like that. So, yeah, just a weird season. I I would encourage Dustin to go back and watch some other ones and watch I the Nadia will. one. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I don't know that my wife has seen that one, so I will watch that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's uh, undoing. Dan, what's undoing about? <laughs> we just uh, threw him right in. We threw sure. him right, right into the let's fire. Do it. Uh, okay, so so like Great British Bake Off, I haven't seen The Undoing, but uh, in, in this instance, I wanted to see test my what knowledge I've gleaned from basically Twitter and culture. So, Wait, can I can I ask two questions? Yes. One, how many David E. Kelly shows have you watched? Uh, well, I'm two, watching Big Sky right now. Okay, oh, and two, oh, yeah. have you seen Big Little Lies? I have not seen Big Little Lies. Okay. Uh, I, I've I, seen them all, Roxana. I know you have. I know you have. David E. Yeah. Kelly did Boston Public, right? So I watched that. No, Boston Legal. Oh, who did Boston Public? He, he might have David done e. Boston Kelly? Public. Anyway, uh, I, I, did he do The Practice? Yes. I watched yeah. The Practice. The Practice yeah. is the reason I went to law school. Oh, my God. Don't tell people that. <laughs> Why? Because, because Dustin fashioned himself uh, a young uh, Dylan McDermott. It was about defense attorneys. It was about <laughs> defending murderers. Okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I've seen other David E. Kelly stuff, but that's what I can. Picket fences. Uh, I'm sure I've seen picket fences. Wait, was not. wasn't he Ally McBeal? Did we just say that? Yes, Ally McBeal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, McBeal, haven't seen a ton of. Okay. I've seen episodes, but like not like it was. It was. It didn't it was hit a, my radar. A bad Kathy Bates legal show. Oh, I remember oh, that one. That yeah. was on NBC. Harry's Law. Yes. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why I remember the title, but I we seen all it. like we all agree that like Michelle Pfeiffer is the better one in that relationship, correct? <gasps> I love David Kelly. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. there's a there's a there's a story that I've heard, and I don't know if it's true, but 
supposedly, if you work on a David E. Kelly show, uh, your room always breaks at six. Like like some writers' rooms will go really late, but but supposedly a David E. Kelly room always breaks right on time because he wants to get home to his wife. Yeah, it makes sense. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to? Exactly. Have you seen Absolutely. her? Oh my but god! But what that tells me is that she's probably you know lovely because you know. I, yeah, I you know what's really Kelly nice. One of their first dates was seeing um, Coppola's Dracula, <laughs> which like is That's such amazing. a. It's such a perfect, like, oh, let's go watch this movie. First date. I love it. I love it so much. Shout I out to him. Francis Ford Coppola. I love you. And if you're listening, I love you. He's definitely listening. I love Amy Kelly because I love the practice. And I went, uh, and it inspired me to go to law school. And I ended up going to the same law school as David E. Kelly. And then oh. he gave the, he gave the, uh, the, the, the commencement speech. At my oh, graduation, and nice. at the graduation, he said, "Don't be lawyers." <laughs> he was like, <laughs> that's "Don't amazing. do this." That's amazing. <laughs> you know? Oh, this explains that's great. a lot. Yeah, I understand, I understand so you a lot much. more now. Um, also, shout out to Sophia Coppola if you're listening. I also love you, and um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. and Nicolas Cage. Your entire nepotistic family, Jason Schwartzman. Yep. I love you guys. I love you all. They, they're all big um, fans of the podcast. They're all big Huge fans. fans. Yeah. They're all big fans of yeah. Pachaiba. Okay, <laughs> Dustin, uh, can you ask Dan the question again? <laughs> What's I'm doing about? Okay, so let me let me start with the basics. You got to start with okay. the, you can't can't get right into it. But okay, so the undoing is on HBO. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, it is a it is a it is a limited series. Uh, Hugh Grant is in it, right? Okay. Am I right so yep. far? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Nicole Kidman yep. is in it. Okay. Uh, there's a there's a murder of some sort. Yes. All right. A and uh, painfully violent. Uh, pe- people's yeah. people's uh, people's accents come out from time to time, is what I've heard. Uh, not necessarily intentionally, but this is the. I, like I understand that that's true about the uh, the attorneys during uh, their trial work uh, during the courtroom okay. scenes. And and then the last thing that I understand about it is that uh, it it felt like it was heading toward an ending that everyone was like it has to be this, and then I don't know if it was that, but people were disappointed. Is that right? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. <laughs> It was an interesting ending, I thought. Not right. not a not a good ending, but an interesting okay. ending. That's that's for... honestly all I know. That's it. Is well, it I, ma- I, is it a David E. Kelly show? Is that why you said David E. Kelly? I didn't want to guess. Yeah, that yeah, it's a David E. Kelly know. show. Yes. Oh, okay. And it, his 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 sort of brand is all over it. Yeah, it very much is like his late career. Everyone is exceedingly wealthy. We're in like a New York City playground of the rich mm-hmm. sort of vibe, which for me gets very boring after a while. But I honestly didn't watch enough early David E. Kelly. I mean, like, how different, Dustin, how different is this from like his legal <laughs> really stuff? different. Like, the practice was about inner city Boston defense attorneys defending people who were wrongfully accused of. I mean, it was about. Uh, racial violence. I mean, it was a really, really good 
great show. And then Boston Legal was sort of like the ritzier, uh, richer defense uh, mm-hmm. attorney version of that. Mm-hmm. By the way, like, uh, Boston Public was created by David yeah, Kelly. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, it was. Um, but like, so then when did he change? So like, what changed? Was it Big Little Lies? Or was it Goliath? Like, no, Goliath is still Goliath. law Goliath. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Mr. Mercedes was also in there. Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know when that sort of switch came. Because he was pretty yeah. hard. I mean, he started out at L.A. Law. He was like hardcore mm-hmm. lawyer guy. And mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not sure when that happened or why it's it happened. Ju- it's sort of interesting to me because like Big Little Lies and The Undoing and I think Nine Perfect Strangers which is his next project for Hulu. Oh, I read that book. It's terrible. Oh, I, I enjoyed how ludicrous it was. Like I actually did not mind it and I couldn't stop reading it, but I feel like they're very much like women's stories. And I, again, Mm. I don't want to say like men can never adapt things for women or vice versa. It's like a slippery slope, whatever. But like, for me, at least it felt like he, adapted the undoing from a book which was very much about like the experience as a woman of realizing your husband is not at all who you thought he was and it's making you question everything about like your life and your marriage and your own choices and then the show was very much not that like the show was just like red herring after red herring and i felt like big threw yeah. that in there for no reason. I mean, yeah. none, it wasn't and, in the book. Right, that wasn't in the book at all. And I feel like he did sort of the same thing with Big Little Lies as well, where it became less about, like, especially season two, really, like, what is it about, like, what is the experience of being, like, the survivor of domestic abuse and, like, how does that trauma change you and how does violence spread but, like, season two just became, like, the Meryl Streep red herring right. situation. So, like, there's part of me that's, like, I'm glad that there are roles for mostly white women older sure. than 40 yes. in his projects or whatever. But it also just sometimes feels like they're not focusing on what I would think a project about, like, women's experiences should focus on mm-hmm, right. so, so like that was always my beef with the undoing is that it never felt like any of these characters were real people well, well okay i think maybe he's just basically he takes uh these novels and he just adapts them and then adds sort of courtroom elements like there wasn't mm-hmm. courtroom elements to big little lies either and he just sort of like he's good at that mm-hmm. um I don't, I, I don't know why they chose him to do these. He's not particularly well-suited, I think. I, I mean, he, Big Little Lies was fine. It was good. Right. And, I thought season and, one was good. Yeah. But I think season one was good because of uh, Leanne Moriarty. Yeah, know, like the source material rather than right. his adaptation of right. it. Hmm. Yeah. And I think probably the best parts of the undoing for most people come from the source material. Although for me, the courtroom scenes were my favorite because of Haley. Yeah. I mean, the actress who played Haley was great, but I think 
it felt like it felt very much almost like three separate shows like the school stuff in the beginning and like the New York City upper crust look at this absurd fundraiser look at like the ridiculousness of these very rich people like that felt like it was one show then like the middle section with like detective mendoza and nicole kinman's character being under suspicion that felt like another and then all of the courtroom stuff again was like a pivot yeah and then the very last... I had no last... idea that it was coming. Like, yeah. And I had then... no idea there was going to be courtroom. This was right. a courtroom drama. Right. And then the very last scene, I don't even know. Like, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know what that, what the hell that was. But, um... That okay, but here... felt like a, a nod to the novel, I guess. Just No, it's just... not. Not at all. No? But, but he no. was a fugitive or something in the novel, wasn't he? <laughs> Um, so basically, I guess, spoiler alert for people who want to read the book, which I would recommend you do. But, um, so in the book, when he, like, leaves for his conference in Cleveland or whatever, which I also didn't like that the show never resolves, he is, like, on the run for real. Right. So I think that, the if I'm remembering correctly, the book almost sort of sets up either that he was planning to run away with Elena and something went wrong. No, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm misremembering. He kills Elena and then he goes back to his apartment with Grace and like steals all of her jewelry and all of like their prized possessions because they're not, they're not super 1% in the book. They're like upper middle class, like, sort of like New York rich, but they're not like super wealthy. So like he steals all of her stuff and then he's on the run. And then when he disappears and is on the run, the book pivots into being more about like, how does grace like rebuild her life as this psychiatrist psychologist who has a book coming out called you should have known where it's basically like a self-help book for women about like, how they should have like spotted their terrible husbands. So obviously then she's like living through that. And then the majority of the book is just her realizing how much Jonathan had like completely cut her off from her friends, her family, like a domestic abuse situation. She leaves and she goes to another state and like rebuilds her life with Henry and like her relationship with her father. And then at the very end, she gets a letter from Jonathan where, again, he, like, basically denies everything and is trying to gaslight her again. And then they arrest him, I think, in, like, some country in South America. But, like, you never see him again. And there never, it never comes to a point where Jonathan is like, I'm going to kill myself to get away from this. Like, he truly believes that he's innocent, like, until the very end which I think the show does something different where it tries to say that like you can be like, if you spend a lifetime doing good things and then do one really fucked up thing, which are you like, are you the murderer or are you the person who like saved hundreds of children's lives from cancer? So I think the show is asking something different, but again, it's final questions 
are about the Jonathan character. They're not about the Grace character. And so there was a lot about that that I didn't really like. And I sort of didn't understand, I guess, from like a legal perspective. Like, why would she need to leak everything to the prosecutor? Couldn't she just go up on the stand and just like say whatever about how terrible Jonathan was? Or is that not how court works? Uh, I don't know. Did we lose Justin? You did briefly. We had a flicker (laughs) and I, and I, and I dropped, but now I'm back. Okay. Dustin, my question was like, why did Grace need to leak stuff to the prosecutor? Like if she was going to be on the stand anyway, couldn't she just have said all of that stuff about Jonathan to the prosecutor without needing to leak information? Uh, I don't, legally, I don't know that that is, I think that was just a, a reason to involve Lily Rabe into the story because mm-hmm. you'd cast her. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, that's the only, I mean, there's not a, like a legal reason for doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was sort of my question is like, why did she need to go through this whole elaborate, like corner the prosecutor in the bathroom <laughs> sort of thing? Like, why couldn't she just get up there and be like, oh, yeah, my husband sucks and is terrible. It was weird. Uh, um, uh, so uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm just catching up. Uh, but It's okay. Uh, I hadn't read, because I was recapping it, I hadn't read your other recaps, but I read today's and you didn't care for it. But did you feel that way the whole series? I was very up and down. There were definitely a lot of episodes where I felt like, the cliffhangers were done well enough and like they added enough tension into the story that I was at least entertained. And I think that was it. Like in a lot of ways it was very entertaining. Yes. But but like at the end, I just felt very unfulfilled in terms of what the show was attempting to say about anything. Because like if what we're supposed to take away is like, Oh, a mother will do anything to protect her son. Like, Tons of, like, Mm, no, like, there are tons of moments when Grace, the fact that Grace kept Jonathan in their lives is not about protecting your son. And then I also didn't really feel like the show did what the book did, which is about, like, domestic abuse and how that, like, transforms who you are as a person. And it really forced Grace to realize, like, how much she had shaped herself around her husband rather than, like, their marriage being a true partnership. And I don't think the show really did that either. So, like, I just ultimately feel like the show was very hollow, and I don't really know what it was attempting to no, do it felt, at the end of the day. It, it did also, to me, feel like it was, like, a show written for Netflix with a big, mm-hmm. uh, with the big cliffhangers that... yeah completely resolved themselves in like uh, 30 seconds of the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, grace could be a suspect. And like the next episode starts and Mendoza, right. Detective Mendoza is like, actually though, we did keep watching and you kept on walking. Like, fuck you, man. Like, and when like Henry had the the hammer, I was like, Oh my God, he's, this is a huge game changer. It's like, no, he just found it in the thing. I definitely think Henry was the worst written character. Yeah. And such a good 
kid actor too. It's such a waste. Because I really yeah. that was the big the big red herring for me is to why cast him because he's so good. Like why cast Noah Jabe? Yeah. Yes, unless that is going to be a significant significant character, and that's why yeah. a lot of us I think thought that maybe he was more involved than he ultimately was. It was a, yeah. it ended up being a very straightforward series that uh, tried to throw us off the trail of it being straightforward. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And again, it's because, like, the book doesn't, like, pull those punches. Like, from the beginning, it's like, she knows, you know, like, they know that Jonathan did it. And then it becomes about her. So it's just interesting to me that you took a story (laughs) that was very much about, like, a woman's experiences and you just made it mostly about, like, is he or is he not guilty? Hmm. And I, like, it's also one of those things where it's like, I sort of don't know why Nicole Kidman took this project because I don't think she like does anything in it. Like, do you know what I mean? Dustin? Yes. Like I didn't feel like it was like a challenging role. Like it didn't feel like there was anything about it that like it had to be Nicole Kidman. Like I almost feel like it was like just a favor to David E. Kelly because the only time it felt like she really had like a lot of something like meaty to grab into was this finale. Right, yes. So I don't know. David E. Kelly is like the you of television right now, just everywhere, just writing all the shows. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I mean, it's too much it's too much. I didn't <laughs> I didn't know that you hated Nine Perfect Strangers. Oh, I didn't like the the book at all. I don't I don't know that I like that author. I stopped reading her after that because I found that so tedious. And and that's weird yeah. because like Reese the Reese brand is kind of mm-hmm. my thing, but that one mm-hmm. did not suit me. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. Um, you're watching Big Sky, though, right, Dan? I am watching Big Sky. Just tremendously. Yes, television. Yes, it's television that I've seen. Super. I watch TV, guys. That is, the, that, is, that is super David E. Kelly and the picket fences sort of uh, milieu of David E. Kelly. And... Uh, yeah, it's uh, getting it's, a lot of uh, shit for the way uh, Native American stuff, rightfully. Well, yeah, they're what was the what was the it's that they're not there. So it, part of Big Sky, a, a big well, the central mystery, at least in the first two episodes, surrounds uh, kidnapping, right, of like young mm-hmm, women. Mm-hmm. And, I'm definitely and, reading spoilers because I'm never going to watch this. But continue. Yeah, but it's uh, but but what they're there and it takes place in Montana, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So, but the pro- part of the problem is that there there is a real uh, epidemic of of specifically like Native women disappearing right. in this fashion. But they're not. But the the uh, the victims in this show are all white women. Um, oh, so it's I kind don't of like it's, it's kind of like they're telling this they're telling a story that they could have told in a you know it, it yeah it's it, so it's Wind River a little bit yeah actually uh, yeah <laughs> a little bit yeah, only uh, it's a lot more so soapy a whole lot more soapy mm-hmm. okay yeah because I mean like again like Wind River is like 
low-key problematic and has like a lot of issues of its own but it does very much address the fact that like i think that there's no i I could be wrong i don't know the full details of it but i think it's that like there's no federal like the department of like the federal department doesn't track the number of like missing native women and again it like speaks to the larger question like the larger problem in this country of like police departments don't talk to or communicate with each other. So Mm -hmm. like if, if women go missing in certain jurisdictions, it doesn't mean that like jurisdiction a will talk to jurisdiction B and that there will be like compiled information about this. So like there was wind river that talked about this and just in terms of like how police departments don't talk to each other. Like you have Zodiac, which talks about that and you have unbelievable, which was the more recent mini series that talked about that. So it's like, Wind River is very much about, like, the epidemic of missing Native women. And you can read about it in, like, tons of publications. Like, Outside Magazine has written about this a lot. And, obviously, like, tons of Native publications can. So, like, do they just ignore... So, like, everybody is just white in this? I'm trying to think if there has even been a Native character yet. Okay. And I don't... Think so? No. Okay. Hasn't. And I did read what the big spoiler was, oh. which is what I guessed. And that was yeah. like a fascinating. That, I mean, that was like, oh my god, oh my god, holy shit! Right. Uh, which was right. A, a big deal. And David Kelly is not. He's pretty good, in in, in in with respect to those sorts of issues. Usually. Mm, do you mean diversity? Yes. Well, particularly early on. Less so okay. with Big Little Eyes. And, but the practice, yeah. the practice was like a, a hugely diverse sort of... Mm-hmm. And I think Boston Legal did a really good job of that too. Mm-hmm. But I think Big Little Eyes was a different sort of show. Yeah, I think Big Little Lies was a different sort of show, and I honestly did not love anything about the Elena Alva's character. No, no. In The Undoing either, because they really just made her like a very stereotypical like she wasn't like Latina. that in uh, the book. I mean, there's less of her. I mean, the book. That's an interesting question. She is still attractive in the book, and but like, she's not the kind of person. Who, okay, in the show, it feels very much like Elena Alves knows what she looks like and she's using it to, like, attract men. Mm-hmm. And she very obviously is open in this affair with Jonathan. In the book, she is attractive or whatever, but, like, the book almost is self-aware about how all of these rich white men are treating her as a fetish object. Mm -hmm. Like it's sort of intentional in that. And then this sounds terrible, I guess, but like we don't ever see anything about their affair. Like we don't see what caused the violence and what caused the murder. We don't see any of their trysts. She doesn't stalk Grace. There isn't anything about oh, the gym or no. the or the portrait or the phone calls or any of that stuff. So they added, I felt like, a lot of that stuff in the show, again, as a red herring to make you suspect Grace. But also it's sort of like that Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon, David E. Kelly brand now. Yeah. Which... 
yeah, is sort of a mixed bag. Right. Uh, I am a little bit sad that he didn't do the Lincoln Lawyer adaptation because I actually really love that movie. Oh, I and I would too. have been interested in seeing that as a show. Well, I think he, I mean, he, it just wasn't picked up, right? Picked up, right? Yeah. 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 So what is that? Okay, because I don't always understand how TV works. If something doesn't get picked up, does that eventually mean it ever could? Or does that just mean it's dead? It usually means it's dead. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I, I mean, Wait, the I'm fact sorry, that... I'm sorry, David E. Kelly actually adapted it and it didn't get picked up? Yeah. How yeah. is that even possible? That is like uh, the yeah. perfect combination. I think and it, it was, was... Go ahead, CBS? Dan, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. Yes. Uh, well, so a lot of it was this year uh, because of the pandemic. It screwed up the pilot season. Um, so who knows what would have been picked up anyway. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know what their reasons were, but that one was not... What was, was the official... I feel like the official reason was... Uh, cast like they couldn't cast it or something like they couldn't find an actor that they were satisfied with um oh which, which may or may not be the you know that's not necessarily the official reason but i i feel like that's what they said i could be wrong um interesting but, but yeah i mean a lot of pilots did even like pilots that would have been uh picked up you know in in a normal time did not because or were not because networks did not pick up too many pilots because right. most of them couldn't be filmed because yeah. of the pandemic. So, so maybe um, it might come back around next year. It's possible. This was in May mm. um, at deadline, which like, ugh, mm. but you know, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So it says like A and E Studios. It was likely that they would shop it elsewhere, and they did cast Logan Marshall Green. The cast oh, had been assembled. My God. In- yeah, including a complex deal with Logan Marshall Green for the lead that took weeks of negotiations. Weeks. Holy shit, that's a David Kelly. Oh my god, I want to see that yeah. show. And well, God, you'd have to. I do like in. Logan Marshall Green once he like stopped just being like American Tom Hardy. Right. Yeah, yeah, because I actually really enjoy Upgrade like a lot. So. Yeah, but it looks like he got cast on another show. So it's, oh, he's cast on that show with Taylor Kitsch. Oh, my God. Dustin. What? There's a Taylor Kitsch and Tom Brady budget guy and the same show? What is this? Dustin. Tell me about this. Dustin. I'm so excited. It's called. It's called <laughs> I'm kidding. It's called. So bad. It's called Shadow Play. Oh. Max Laughlin is an American cop who arrives in Berlin. Oh my God. Oh my God. In the, in the summer of 1946 to help create oh a police, a police force in the chaotic aftermath of world war two. Holy shit. Is Peter Berg involved somehow? Oh my God. No, but you know who else <laughs> co-stars? Michael C. Hall. Oh my God. Soul man. <laughs> This show sounds terrible, and I'm 100% going to yes, watch it. Yes, same. What is, what is this show? I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to look it up. Oh, wait. Like this where, is, where this is, is that it? show that's on uh, Viaplay or some fucking network that nobody gets. How are we going to watch it? Because Michael it's C. Hall. Canal, Canal Plus in France. Because Michael C. Hall's on one of these shows, too, on Viaplay or whatever the fuck that Man. is. Man. Fucking France. They're the worst. <laughs> Fuck you, Emmanuel Macron, you Islamophobic motherfucker. Um, 
How are we going to watch this TV show? I don't know. I, I want to God see it, it, but I, I actually did see this uh, listed on my app the other day of like shows coming up. And I was like, I don't know how to watch this. How are we going to watch this show? We must. We must watch the show. Dan, Dan, <laughs> use your connections to find this show for us. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll get on that. I'll talk <laughs> Thank to you. Big, big Hollywood and say, get me France. And, you know, then, then they, they send it right over. Um, and uh, on oh that note, you know, you know who speaks in this kind of halting manner and is kind of awkward and weird? And uh, this, this segue turned out better than I thought. Mm. Yeah, this is, was uh, good. John Wilson. Uh, I wanted yes. to talk briefly Lying about how to with John Wilson. Like John Wilson did. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> a bottle. Uh, the so so I, I, I yeah we heard the poor <laughs> but I I wanted to know what what both of you thought because the how to with John Wilson the season finale uh, was on Friday and I don't have much to say so I'm hope because I don't I, like I I honestly thought the ending was perfect like it was uh, I don't I don't know it it hit me in a way that it was very, um, we, we've talked about the show on the podcast, but briefly it's John Wilson does these kind of like kind of documentaries and, you know, but he's, he's going out into New York city and, uh, following these threads and he starts with a prompt, but then it leads him down these weird rabbit holes where he just talks to people and, you know, they kind of invite him in cause he's harmless and, and he just learns about whatever weird thing they're willing to tell him basically. And, uh, and, over the course of the the six episodes, he it's incredibly funny and like the way that he the, the footage he films combined with his voiceover narration leads to a lot of comedy. Um, but the season finale, uh, he's filming an episode and then it becomes about the start of the pandemic because that's when he was filming, mm-hmm. and it it just became it was it was so fascinating because it started the episode's called How to Make the Perfect Risotto. And it's about him wanting to do something nice for his elderly landlord. And then and then the pandemic starts. And then he's like, I can't make risotto for her anymore because I don't want to kill her. And and it just it just it, but then he he comes back around to like it, it, it captures like the it, it's kind of terrifying to watch because it captures the beginning of the pandemic when we didn't know anything. And you watch and you're like, oh God, we didn't know anything. And you know, we kind of still don't now, but that's that's a different yeah. story. But but then you get to the ending and it's like weirdly uplifting in a way that I, I did not, I was like, there's no, like, it's almost, I felt like it was impossible to have kind of like an uplifting ending out of that, but he did. And I don't know, it just, it's, I know it's the way that he structures these, it's all after the fact in post-production, but it, it felt like it's one of those shows where it feels like this has to be scripted. This has to be fake, right? Because there's no way that you get these people to say these things and to, to be this open with you. And then you don't, I don't know. It's, it's just a, it's a marvel to me and I'm fascinated by it. And people in front of cameras will just fucking say anything. It's true. Yeah. Also the episode made me incredibly anxious because that risotto was so bad. And <laughs> I like to make risotto, and it really, really, it like triggered uh, like OCD and anxiety. But like, he met a he met a guy who who 
told him his perfect recipe. But it didn't work, <laughs> and he was he never he never mastered it, and the shit he left on the porch for his uh, nana or his landlord looked like cat food, and it oh it made me so sad. <laughs> But see, I feel like it reminds me, and again, like, I I could never watch a lot of Nathan Nathan for you. I think I've only really watched, like, two episodes, maybe. But I could never really watch it because it made me so anxious. And, like, it's just so uncomfortable and I couldn't sit through it. Hmm. But Adam had me finally watch the finale. Oh, yeah. Which I also feel like... John Wilson's show reminds me so much of the finale in that, like, there's a lot about it that, like, is very, like, it makes me sort of, like, curl my toes and, like, I just sort of want it to almost be over. But I also feel like Nathan For You ended in sort of, like, an uplifting, surprisingly Mm -hmm. so, way because, like... It, it, it like really showed you like the wide range of human emotion and like regret and guilt and hope and anger and like all that crap. And like John Wilson also pulled that off. And I don't know like if we're just softer right now because <laughs> the world is so bad, but I agree. I didn't, I didn't expect him to make it work. Mm-hmm. And I also don't know how you keep doing this. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know either. I don't know, but he, I, I, I have, uh, I have been consuming media and interviews that I've that I can find so far. Um, and he was, uh, he was interviewed on a on a podcast, and it, part of it was I just wanted to know his process, and mm-hmm. uh, it's fascinating to me that he says like, yeah, I basically like, it's at least the way that he portrays it, it's basically how it looks. Like he really just wanders around with his camera, and when he sees something interesting, he'll record it, and then he'll, you know, if 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 uh you know if, if someone will talk to him then he'll just start talking to them and see where it goes and there's no you know there's no plan beyond like kind of like his general prompt that he that he's kind of starting with and mm-hmm. uh and the only difference being the difference between he he did these as a series of like vimeo shorts before it became a show and the only difference being that like for the vimeo shorts he would just do whatever and for this one apparently there's like a van of production people with releases waiting like so that like when he's finished filming and he like kind of wanders off then they just like jump out of the van and try to get everybody to sign releases oh my god which that to me sounds more unsettling like if someone came up to me with a camera and they wanted to talk i'd be like yeah fine but like if someone jumps out of a van with like sign this video release i'd be like oh this is weird (laughs) but also someone that's willing to like uh pay for him to go up in a helicopter with a bag of chips Mm mm-hmm but that's a very that feels like a very like HBO like they're willing to spend money like that. Um, yeah. Like I mean I mean you look at like the the things that they allow uh John Oliver to write off on his budget like you know donations to stuff and they and you know not that they're not good causes but like sometimes it's like a giant like a $50,000 joke. And yeah. and he gets away with it but and I also think that like I do think that HBO has sort of cultivated that because I don't know what other networks right now are even taking chances like that. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it's so it's so weird and specific and different than anything uh, anything else I've like. Not even like on TV now. Like it's very like even like you know 
obviously it has some shared DNA with Nathan for you because of Nathan Fielder, but mm-hmm. even that felt like this feels like its own thing, so much its own thing that yeah. I don't know, like, I don't know, I, I, it's hard for me to, to, to define it or to, you know, try to categorize it, which, which is what makes it even more special in some ways. Yeah, like, I think it's more than anything else, it just, I mean, yeah, I don't know if I could explain it either, actually, since I thought I could, and now I feel Mm. lost for words. I just feel like it's, like, a very stream of consciousness, slice of life, Mm -hmm. humanist documentary. Like, in a lot of ways, it sort of reminds me of, like, I don't know if either of you has seen any of his movies, but there was this Iranian filmmaker, Abbas Kiorostami, and, like... Yeah, and, like, his main thing was, like, he sort of skirted that line between, like, meta and theatrical and, like, Mm -hmm. what is a movie and, like, breaking the fourth wall. And, like, one of his things that I always loved is, like, he has a trilogy of films um, set in, like, some rural areas of Iran and the films are like interlinked and then by the second movie they become about the process of making the first movie and then the third movie is about like a film crew who goes to try to find the people who starred in the first movie because now they're making a documentary about that movie and so it becomes like very layered and complex in its ideas of like what is reality and what Mm. is performance And sometimes like how to with John Wilson reminded me of that because he is capturing a lot of people just living their lives in New York and like all the weirdness and wonder of that. But then you do also have people like the weird penis guy (laughs) who like knows he's on TV. Like he knows he's on TV, but like I think that's his version of the truth. Right. And there is some sort of authenticity and sincerity in that although it's insane and <laughs> completely like, insane I, completely insane you know what though that guy was way more harmless than the uh mandela effect people yeah they freaked me out yeah well it it fascinated me that with the 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 there's an episode for uh, how to cover your furniture i think is what it was called mm-hmm. <laughs> which uh, is a joke now that I only just get. Uh, but the, um, I don't know, just, just, yeah, like I, I had been warned beforehand that there was male nudity and mm-hmm. I was like, Oh God, it's going to be so like, I don't know how I'm going to feel. And then like it happens and it's, it's not shocking in a way that like, like it's, it, he's so sincere about like his belief in his, uh, in his invention that the nudity is just a piece of it. Like, it's not like, it's not like, oh, wow, there's a naked guy. It's like, no, this is, like, it's weird, but, you know, he's just doing the thing that he thinks is yes, right. Yeah. And yeah. I kind of respect that. Yeah. Uh, don't you love the, like, the very rapid glimpse of his wife, who's, like, in another room, thoroughly <laughs> yeah. ignoring everything yeah. that's happening? Yeah. <laughs> it's just my husband getting naked in front of the camera. Yeah. Yeah, that was one like of my favorite things. Yeah. Um, Dan, has that been your favorite thing you watched this year? 
You know, I was thinking about that in part because uh, this episode, it, we're recording on November 30th, but this episode will be out in December, so it's time to think about the end of the year, thank God. Uh, but it's it's definitely up there. Um, I had to think, like, what other shows have come out this year. Yeah. Uh, like, just, like, as an example, uh, the final season of The Good Place ended at the beginning oh my of God. this year. That's insane. Yeah, I know, right? Wow. Um, so, I mean, I, I think, uh, just like top of my head, this will definitely be on the short list for me. Um, I think I May Destroy You is on that list. Um, there's probably some other things. Was Fleabag this year or was that last year? That was last year, <laughs> I think. Okay, so it doesn't have to be Fleabag. But, Ted Lasso uh, was this year. I mean, Ted Lasso was this year. That's on the short list. Like those, th- oh, uh, Mythic Quest was this year. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, was uh, it? Those. The yeah. pandemic episode. The first was. season was like February. No, no, no. The first season was like February. Wow. Yeah. I think. Pretty sure. Um, I'm trying to think so, of what some of my favorites were. This is a, this is a good question. Yeah. Oh, I loved Betty. I loved Betty very much. Oh, I've only watched the first episode, but I loved it. And yeah, I want to. I want to finish. I just haven't yeah. gone back. I yet. thought Betty was really good. Dustin, would you put the Good Lord Bird on your list or no? I think so. Yeah, I really, really loved yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of what else. Lovecraft Country sort of lost me, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I if heard it got back better, it. but I I fell off. It got yeah. better, and then it got worse. That finale yeah. was a mess. Yeah. The Outsider definitely, it had me until like the last five seconds and then I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think at some point I need to catch up with, um, I know this much is true because I've never felt like my heart could mm-hmm. take it. I read the book, didn't like it, and then watched the first two episodes and didn't like it. Because of the same reason? Yeah. Like because you didn't like the story? Basically. Okay. Ruffalo made but it I a little also... more interesting. Yeah. I also have not liked this season of Fargo. No, I quit. Oh, yeah. I, I stopped on that for now. Yeah. Yeah. I did not. I did not care for that. Um, I'm trying to think what else was this year that like I watched. Devs? Did you watch Devs? <sighs> I didn't love Devs. I didn't love Yeah, neither to. did I. Neither did like, I. It was, I, it, it felt like it, that show felt like it had so much potential and I don't know. There's something about the, um. I, I never thought that this would be my complaint, but it it was kind of too cold for me. Yes, I agree. Um, uh, and, also, I, and I love his coldness most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Like, I think one of Alex Garland's, like, best qualities is that he's able to be, like, very analytical right. about, like, what are our feelings right. and, like, how do they fail us. But, yeah, devs almost felt, like, impenetrable in that yeah. idea. And th- there was such a, there. I don't know. It was, it was kind of a bummer too to watch like, like performers who I enjoy, and I enjoy seeing in other th- like, like I I would love that this year I got to like I didn't know who he was until now, but like Jin Ha, who I think is great, mm-hmm. but like seeing him in that show versus like seeing him in Love Life, where he's kind of like a normal guy. Um, I was like, oh. I like. I kind of want to just hang out, see the hangout version of him, rather than like the sad, dour devs world version. Um, 
Or like Sonia Mizuno, who I don't know other than Alex Garland's work, and except that she was in Crazy Rich Asians for like five minutes. And in that, yes. she's so like light and bubbly and fun. It's like, oh, so you can play both, which is great. But like this one's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Yes. I think that's very, I think that's very fair. I also, I was like, I'm sorry. Who cares if Russians are stealing American technology? Is that bad? Should I not say that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I wonder if Devs was kind of a... Uh, I, I, I feel like in another year, it would have been... I mean, a different year, it would have been... I would have been more receptive to it. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's even fair. Though, even though it probably start. I think it started before the pandemic, right? Because it wasn't like early April, so it's technically... Before, or early March, so before we all locked down. It got it weird at the 5th. end, either way. Like, okay. I, it was March 5th through April 16th. I mean, okay. I think for me, I probably would have never gotten into it just because, like, I strongly dislike determinism as a concept. Mm-hmm. Like, it just doesn't do anything for me, I guess. Yeah. And I, it's one of those things, too, where I just feel like it's very... Sometimes that kind of storytelling can read as like smug for me. And I think that's also why it's been hard for me to get into like, well, that's not true. I really loved dark for like two seasons Mm -hmm. and then we started the third season and I was just like, but nothing is changing like in this show. Like we just keep returning to square one. And that's sort of how devs felt for me. Did you finish it? Dark? No. Oh my god. No, not yet. Okay. We're like three episodes in. I'm not saying that. And the, Adam, it, it, it does get sort of like uh, between like the second and third, but I, I, the, the end of it almost redeems it, almost. Adam, Adam quit, so I'm gonna finish it by myself. But was it intended to be three seasons or no? I have no idea. I, I don't know. Okay, because like the third season, at least. Brilliant first season and. Yeah, the first season is amazing. The second season, I was like, okay, I'm sort of willing to go where this is taking me. But then the beginning of the third season doesn't feel like a season that's going to wrap everything up by the end. It does. It does. So, okay. Okay. In a, okay. In a somewhat satisfying manner. Okay. I mean, what I will say is that everybody on that show is mostly hot. Yes, so. that is also true. <laughs> Very important qualifier. Am I the only one that's but, in Queen's Gambit, the like biggest show? Yes, yeah. really. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't watched. I that haven't yet. seen it. Oh, yeah. It's just the. It's just the perfect sort of Netflix binge watch. But you know, mm-hmm. it's great. I um, have to watch the new Mirror show, A Suitable Boy. That looks like it's oh. going to be good. And also, the last dance was this year. Hello. Oh yeah, the last. I I, I was going to say that, but I don't know if that counts as. Does that? I mean, I guess does it count? Sure, I think, yeah, I think it's TV. I don't think yeah. it's like OJ where they managed to pass it off as both a movie and television. Right. I think it actually is television. I, yeah, I mean, The Last Dance was amazing uh, yeah. and so good. Um, this wouldn't make my best of list, but High Fidelity was also this year. I loved High Fidelity. Oh and I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know if I'd put it top, you know, five. but Right. Um, but I was very what bummed also, when it got canceled. Yeah, that was lame. And what also blew my mind, Dustin, is that the plot against America was this year. Mm. Doesn't that feel like it was like a millennia ago? I literally watched 10 minutes of it and I was like, I can't. Because that was like in the heart of like the worst part of the pandemic. Because like when everybody thought we were all going to die and like, and I just couldn't. 
Yeah. I mean, only 200,000 of us died. So That's true. Yeah. 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 Great. yeah. Was it too bleak, Dustin? Uh, I've read the book and, um, okay. yeah, it, it just, it, I couldn't, I just, it was too heavy at the time. Mm, okay. I think any other time it, that's my kind of show. Mm-hmm. I do feel like it's interesting. Like, I feel like David Simon is also just like steadily churning out work and people watch it. I'm sure. <laughs> but I feel like the conversations about it don't last very yeah. long anymore. Yeah. I enjoyed that Oscar Isaac show he did. Oh, yeah, Show Me a Hero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was fine. Yeah. 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 I mean, I just find his Twitter personality very exhausting. It can be, yes. Yes. Yeah, so I definitely muted him, and I was like, I think I'll like you more if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't do this. But, uh, but yeah. Um, so are we gonna do we want to do a game or do we feel like we've done it all it's up to you guys i feel like we've probably done it all tonight all right yeah um that's fair because uh my game can always come back at another time um roxana thank you so much for being here Uh, also i wanted to i wanted to uh to to bestow upon you another title uh this is this is just a podjiba specific title but I, I think you've earned it. Uh, I, I, to me, I feel like you are our senior hashtag developer because every good hashtag that we have come up with has come from you, uh, very specifically. Oh, so, that's very kind. Thanks, guys. Uh, so it's it's a it it's it's a largely honorary title, but you know, yeah. but it, it it does show uh, you know our respect for you. And, uh, oh, thanks, guys. That's very sweet. We, or at least my respect for you. Dustin had nothing to do no, with this. Yeah, I mean, it's bit. because yeah. he cheats, That's right. so, yeah. like, uh-huh. he sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was about to say we should have you back for the uh, end of the year uh, discussion, but, yeah, you know, that'll be maybe fun. not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if What if we did this, Roxana? What if you were here and Dustin wasn't? Oh, there you go. you, me, and Tori. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's I actually know. very important. And if you want to send some feeler letters to the Coppolas, just like see what they're up to. <laughs> like, are they down to clown? Then yeah, let's figure it out. I mean, they all have have DMs, right? They're all on the on social. Probably. I'm sorry. Isn't it hilarious to imagine Francis Ford Coppola on social media? <laughs> I love it. I bet he's got a he's got a finsta, which is a term I know. <laughs> Um, as long as he doesn't have an OnlyFans, it's fine. <laughs> ah. On that note, that's the show. Uh, Roxana, thank you again for being here. Yeah, uh, Dustin, congratulations on uh, not having to cheat this week. You're welcome. Yeah, we got uh, away with it. This we time. moved the chickens inside. The chick. That's your chicken update. Oh, good. Thank you. We. I forgot to ask. Uh, Still, so so the chicken and roosters are inside. The safe chickens. And uh, don't worry about that. Uh, we'll be back next week with more stuff. Oh, we didn't talk about Mandalorian this week, uh, partially because Tori's not here, but also because we're not the people who've watched the cartoons. So this it, it was a fun episode, but we're not the we're, we would have you would have been mad at us. So you're welcome. Uh, we'll probably talk about it next week. Anyway, Grogu. So don't worry about that. Um, that's all I got. All right, that's it. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Bye.